Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here with us today. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time joining us, we have a very special welcome for you. If you'll give us your email address, we will send you a Starbucks gift card this coming week and the coffee is on us. This is the first week of our new sermon series, Follow Me. Pastor Jason has a great message just ahead for all of us. And speaking of the sermon, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Jen with our announcements. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Jen Brown. So glad you're here today. Just want to share with you some things that are coming up. This Tuesday, we have a new class starting up called Recovering from Losses in Life. This will be at 6 p.m. and is a great class for anyone who's navigating just hardships in life. This could be the loss of a loved one, a big change in life, or just several small setbacks that are just stressing you out. Uh, We have a great group of people who can walk with you for four weeks as we navigate all the different topics that go with this. We hope you'll join us. Sign up today by using the Church Center app by going to schweitzer.church or simply stop by the Blue Booth to learn more. For the past nine months, a group of 15 students have been walking through the confirmation class. And next Sunday night at 5 p.m., we will celebrate with them as we have a confirmation service. This will be an incredible time as we have a time of baptisms and faith affirmations. And we would love for you to come out and support the next generation as they have a confirmation service right here in the sanctuary. And last but not least, I want to share with you our newest issue of our Schweitzer Spark magazine. This is our church magazine. And inside you will find a whole bunch of stories about what God's doing in the life of people in our church and what's happening around our campus. Uh, This will also has a calendar page that has all the things happening between now and August. You'll want to pick up a copy of this, share it with a friend and invite them to be part of what's happening here at Schweitzer. You can grab a copy at the Blue Booth today in the Fellowship Center and all around campus. Once again, thanks so much for being here today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Jen, for those great announcements. We want to invite you to join us for any or all of these great things that are happening right now at Schweitzer Church. You can find out more about them online at schweitzer.church next. We invite you today to join in the chat. If you want to say hello to your friends or give us your insights, that would be great. Also, if you're in need of prayer, Just press that prayer button and someone will be right with you. We're happy to be with you in worship today. And now, let's continue in our time of worship. Lord, I confess that I've been Stolen your breath and sang my own song. And Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I bought on my own. Scarlet sins had a crimson cause 
And nail I dead to that old rugged cross An empty slave at the empty grave Thank God that stone was rolled away Lord, I confess I've been the prodigal Made for your house But walked my own Then she
had a crimson cross You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross An empty slate at the empty grave Thank God that stone was rolled away As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father together. Let's pray. Holy God, we glorify you with our worship today. It's our honor to be in your presence, and we thank you for the blessings of each day that you give to all of us. God, we also know that it is such a blessing for us to be able to lay our cares and concerns at the feet of the cross. We know you're with us each step of the way. All we have to do is accept that grace and to follow you. So Lord, as we learn to follow you more completely, we ask that you give us your your presence and your spirit and your joy so that our words and our actions might glorify you in everything that we do and say. now, God, we ask you to bring us together as we share together the prayer that you gave to your son, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we are here to celebrate what happened here at Schweitzer Church on Easter Sunday last week. We had over 600 of you joining us online for worship. And we want to thank you for that. And we hope you'll continue to join us as we worship together. We also had over 1,500 people join us here at the church. We had a great time of fellowship with fresh cinnamon rolls and hot coffee. We had a wonderful photo booth where families were able to take fun pictures together. We had a tremendous Easter egg hunt and the kids were everywhere. And above all, we had fabulous worship services that glorified Jesus Christ and the resurrection. All of this happened because of your generosity and your support to ministries through Schweitzer Church. Thank you so much for giving. I want to remind you, you can give online at schweitzer.church give. And now, here's Pastor Jason with week one of our sermon series, Follow Me. Hello and welcome, friends. I'm Pastor Jason. So glad you've joined us in worship today from Schweitzer. I hope you've, you've had a fantastic Easter celebration and that you're looking forward to to new things, that the Lord is going to do some new things in and with you. Today, we're starting a new sermon series at Schweitzer, and the sermon series is called Come, Follow Me. Now, one of the things we hear Jesus say when he first meets his disciples is, come and follow me, be my disciple. One of the things we continue to hear Jesus say throughout the entirety of the New Testament is an invitation to people to come and follow him, to be disciples of of him. And that call is something that continues to reverberate over history. And hopefully you've heard Jesus say that same call to you. Hopefully, hopefully you've replied. 
Well, following Jesus is, is somewhat different today than it was when Jesus stood by the boat of James and John and their father was in it and their nets were there and he said, come follow me. They could leave their boat and their nets and their dad and, and they followed after him. We're not James and John. We don't have those same kind of environments. We don't live in the same kind of place as Galilee. And yet Jesus still comes to us and he calls us to follow. What does that following look like? And one of the things we want to address in the next few weeks is, is exactly that. What following after Christ looks like here and now in this place. How do we as a church, how does Schweitzer, how do you on a very practical level Follow after Christ in the fullness of your life. So in the next six weeks, we're going to look at those, um, at those realities. Some of the ways that we live that out here at Schweitzer. If you walk the halls of the church building, you'll see some pictures that begin to help shape the framework of, of what that looks like. Um, those pictures, they've got different uh, titles on them. And we're going to deal with one of those titles today. The title is We Worship Together. If you go to our website, at Schweitzer.Church, you'll find those same kinds of descriptions. How do we follow after Christ? What does it look like on a, on a day in and day out kind of, of level? Um, so as, as we do this, uh, today our focus is going to be on worshiping together. Now worship is something that the church throughout the centuries has done. And worship at some level has had a basic commonality. And yet at the same time, there are nuances, there are differences in from church to church, within denominations, across denominations, there are similarities and there's differences. And one of the things we want to say right at the outset is that we're okay with differences. In fact, it's good to know what our differences are just as well as it's good to know what our commonalities are. And so as we talk about worship today, I want you to think about <clears throat> how we worship and what does that say about who we are and how we're following after Christ. And also, I want, I want to encourage you to have a sense of appreciation for our sisters and brothers who worship in different ways, um, maybe with a little different emphasis, but they're seeking after Christ and they're seeking to follow after Christ in, in the way that He's called and reached out to them and the way that He's equipped them. So we celebrate that Jesus calls us to come and follow me. And in one of the ways that we get to follow Him is through the act of worship. It's a great thing. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in reading a part of one of the first Christian hymns that was ever composed. You'll find it in Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read the last three verses of that hymn. Uh, the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> just to set this up, the Apostle Paul has been encouraging the church to, to be people who see Christ, see the fullness of Christ, see everything that Christ has been in, and who live in such a way that they would live after the glory of God. And so here's what he says then in Philippians 2, starting at verse 7. In the middle of this hymn, he says, Therefore God elevated him, that being Jesus, to the place of highest honor. And he gave him the name above every name, above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I've already mentioned that this hymn is something that was one of the earliest Christian um, songs written about Christ. It was all about centering praise and worshiping who Jesus is and, and what He did, and who He was, what He meant to the 
to the early church. The hymn, if you go back and look at it in all of its detail, speaks of Jesus' divinity, about how he, was, he is God and He was equal with God. It speaks about His incarnation, how He took on human flesh and became one of us. It speaks about His death, how He died on a cross. And then in this section that we read, it talked about how the Father exalted Jesus. There is something about Him, how He's placed at the highest place imaginable. And He's worshipped and adored. Paul talks about how Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And then there's that, that final word. Jesus is, is thought of, talked about, as one who has supreme power and authority. One who is glorified. That is to say, one who gets praise in all kinds of ways. In doing this, Paul is using what we might call exalted language or vivid language, poetic language to try and give us a sense of who Jesus is in the, in the full reality that he can imagine or describe. And sometimes that's why we turn to songs. That's why we turn to poets. That's why we turn to that kind of language because we find that our words just in and of themselves are so difficult to, to get us to the place where we're happy with what we're saying. But Paul seeks to, right at the outset, of Philippians when he's saying, here's who we're seeking to follow after. He gives the Philippians and he gives us a song. It's a song of great praise. It's also a song that isn't just of his own manufacture. It's not of his own making. But Paul actually leans into the, some of the phraseology, some of the imagery from the Old Testament. The, the book that Jesus would have read when it, from Isaiah 45, he captures these words, in, in Isaiah 45, where Isaiah was seeing an image of God doing a work of salvation among his people, Isaiah said, when the Lord's salvation comes, every knee will bend to the Lord and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. Um, Paul puts those words from Isaiah, describing what God is like right back into this letter that he writes to the church at Philippi, describing what we're going to do. And so, He's like, not just some people, but all people. Because that's who Jesus is drawing to himself. He's drawing all people to himself. And all people are going to have a time when they bend the knee to the person of Jesus because he is God. He is Lord. Uh, there, finally, is that, that last term, Lord, too. Paul gives us this term. Um, on the one hand, he, he gives us some religious imagination. On the other hand, he gives us the term Lord, which is a very practical term. We might even, uh, today we might even say beyond just practical, but it's almost a, a political term and not political in the sense of like being partisan or being of, of a party, but it's political in the sense that it, it impacts the way in which an, an ordinary average person would intersect with their community on a, on a daily basis. Lord is not just a political or a religious term, but instead, <clears throat> when one describes Jesus as Lord, one is describing where life comes from. One is describing uh, as Lord, one who has power and determination, one who has control over the direction of, of one's life or one's activity, one's interest. Uh, Lord, in the time of Jesus, in the time of the disciples, a person who is Lord had great determination over all kinds of other people in their, in their world. And so to say Jesus is Lord is to say this in the context of the early church, that someone is not. 
And that someone often who, who longed to be called Lord was Caesar. So to say Jesus is Lord, well, the early church understood that that had real bearing on how they lived each and every day. Because that meant that they looked for life, they looked for direction, they looked for peace, they looked for understanding, they looked for all of that, not in a political leader, but in one who was, who was God, who was the God-man, the one who had given his life for them, who had brought salvation and hope and healing in all kinds of ways. They looked to Jesus in a very practical level all their days. And so we might say that as Paul paints this image in this song, which is given to the early church and is used within their confines of worship, that he also paints a picture for us that worship is something that is centered in the life and the person of Jesus himself. Worship is about being centered in Christ, who is our Lord, who's our salvation, who's our example, who's so many things to us. And so as we think about how we follow after Christ here, where we worship together, one of the things that we can say about it, actually the thing that's kind of the centering thing, is that worship should be centered around Jesus himself. It should look to him and should speak of him and be directed by him. Because when that happens, then he speaks to us, he shares with us, he directs us, he forms us, he shapes us. He's present in our being. So one of the things that I'd like to do, just very quickly, just very briefly, is walk through some of the things that happen within the confines of a worship service and talk about how they point to Jesus, how they're centered in him and how they then speak to us. One of the things that we hope to find and hope is always present among us when we gather to have a Jesus-centered worship time is that we would be people of the book. We'd be people who take up the Bible and engage it and read it and have it shape us and speak to us. Because all of Scripture, all of Scripture, in fact, the, the ancients remind us that all of Scripture, whether it's the Old Testament, New Testament, or Gospels, they all point to and speak of Him. Jesus is present there. And when we take up the Scriptures and we, and we center our lives there, we we learn about Jesus, but we also learn from him because the scriptures are alive and they're speaking to us about who Jesus is, not just who he was, but who he is and what he has to say to our lives. Then one of the things that we think about, we encounter in worship is the fact that we get to sing. And this hymn that we've read from in Philippians today is, is part of something that was sung, it was singing. The church has always thought singing was important. It was a way where we could have our prayers uh, joined in a common voice together. We could lift up and, and our hearts would be glad because, because our hearts were glorifying in who Christ is. And so songs that are really good, songs that, that are useful in worship are songs that speak about Jesus and they're songs that speak to Jesus, that reflect a sense of glory and honor and praise. Sometimes when I was younger, I used to get hooked up on that those lines of glory, honor, and praise. What is that like? And it seems like it's just religious language once again that we try to describe. But I realized in the act of <clears throat> having kids that to glory is, is something that parents do. And, and I've noticed in the past several weeks that grandparents glory also. They love to glory in their grandkids. They love to hang around their grandkids or their kids and, and see how they're growing 
And there is just a sense of joy that comes into their heart that's present with them. That's what glory is, to have joy in the sense of another. And when we glory in Christ, when we have joy in Him, when we sing to Him, there is a, a sense that God's glory interacts with us and is shared with us. Um, so, in a sense uh, where worship is Jesus-centric, where it's centered around Him, it takes up and includes the Scriptures. It takes up and includes songs about Him and singing to Him, glorying in Him. Um, one of the things you might notice about worship at Schweitzer is that there's an order to it. Like we have things like call to worships and which bring the Psalms into play, or we have a spot where we use the Lord's Prayer, or sometimes we'll use the creeds. All of these things help keep us centered. And in fact, the creeds are one of those ways in which they try to, in a very short manner of speaking, tell the full story of who Jesus is. Sometimes so that we can remember it, and sometimes so that we can come alongside someone else and talk vividly about who Jesus is. Now certainly, you're listening to a sermon or a homily right now. One of the things that Jesus-centered worship has always had is not only the reading or engagement of Scripture, but then a sense of like seeking to understand that. Because just as, as we talked earlier about how following Jesus is different from the time of James and John, those stories need a sense of interpretation. But as, as we open up the Scriptures, as we look at them in the act of, of a sermon, Jesus finds a way to come in beside us and speak to us about the practicality of life that we're living right now or the pressures that we're facing or the challenges that we see or the fears that we might have and he's able to speak faith into us. A couple of weeks ago, at a service we were at, actually, now I'm going to save that. I'll come back to that. Sermons help reveal Christ to us. And these sermons, uh, the sense of, of opening up the scriptures, they're not just moral talks or pep talks um, or three steps to have a, having a happy Monday. No, they're, they're really about Jesus interacting with our lives right now where we're at. Also within a, a framework of having a Jesus-centered worship experience or worship time, there is a time and a moment to respond. We've got a number of ways in which we can respond within a worship service to what Jesus is up to. Sometimes, well, as the text says, sometimes we respond on bended knee because Jesus shows up and he, he might challenge us, us or confront us or he might speak to us words that just melt our own hearts and and we want to respond in, in recognizing that Jesus is, is the Lord of our lives. Or, or maybe, um, like after Jesus raised Lazarus, raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, worship might inspire a party because God's work is, is so present and so profound in our lives that that's the best response to what Jesus is up to is to have a celebration. Or maybe after after. Jesus teaches to us, we think, you know what? There's some kind of action that ought to be provoked. Uh, Jesus one time was teaching on a hillside and the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, you've taught for a long time and the people are hungry and they're getting restless and what are we supposed to do? And there was a little boy who said, you know what? 
or a little, a little person, young person came to him, said, you know what? I've got, I've got two fishes and five loaves. Maybe you can do something with this to feed the people. This young person brought an offering to Jesus that he used to bless all those who heard him that day to give the feeding of the 5,000. And that happens within worship. There's this movement where we see God at work and we want to respond. There's all kinds of ways where we can do that. <clears throat> and, and, and finally, a couple different things. In worship, Jesus-centered worship, there's a sense of, of freedom. Jesus brings us, when we, when we gather around Him, when we worship Him, He brings us a sense of freedom. Even as there's order, even as things are kind of set in place, He brings us a, a freedom about who we're meant to be, how we're meant to be connected to Him. And a freedom in, in understanding both the love and the grace and the judgment of God, He brings us a freedom and he sets us free to be the people that we're, we're meant to be. Um, and also, the last thing. Um, our, our line says we worship together. That's one of the ways in which we, we do this work, right? Worship isn't some, just something that's a private thing, but worship is a, is a communal activity. Worship is something that we embark in with other sisters and brothers, with other people who are interested in what Jesus is up to. Worship is something that we do together. Now, I know a lot of people, and I have had these moments myself where I've found myself worshiping uh, on the seat of my tractor or on the seat of a lawnmower or out in nature in some form or fashion. Lots of That happens a lot. And yet throughout the history of the, of the scriptures, throughout the history of the church, uh, people have always found that there is something profound and powerful about when they gather together in worship. The church has really said this throughout, <clears throat> throughout its history, that we need the presence of one another because sometimes we get lost in the weeds of, of our own daily lives and we need someone else walking alongside of us to speak the words of truth and life and to be the hands and feet of Christ next to us. I, I said earlier that... Um, there was something about a worship service recently that really spoke to me, that it was like Jesus himself showed up and, and spoke. It was in the Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday service. And one of the texts that was read <clears throat> um, was from Isaiah 53. And the text itself says, He, he surely has, he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Now, when it was said in the public hearing, the, the plurality, the plural S was dropped from the word grief. And I, took, I saw that. I noticed that. In fact, I began to wrestle with, like, why don't we say griefs? And then in my own heart, in my own mind, it was almost like Jesus said this to me. He said, ultimately, behind all griefs, there's one or two big grief that most people carry. As I heard that text, it's almost like Jesus said, you don't have a multitude of griefs, Jason. You have, you've got one. You've got one grief. 
and I have borne that grief. I bear that grief. I don't know if it was a, if apart from worship with other people that I would have heard that spoken word of Christ to my own heart, that personal word to my own heart. Though we were together, Jesus found a way to speak personally. Well, friends, the practicality that we're talking about in this day is that we worship together as something, if we're really going to make it practical, we've got to center it on Christ. And I walked through a number of ways in which the order of our worship or the structure of our worship, those things remind us and they speak of Christ and we share Christ. But there's something else, and I want to leave us with this from C.S. Lewis. As we think about worship, we oftentimes can become all bound up, all bound up with how worship ought to look like one thing or another thing. What's good worship, and sometimes we even we have descriptions of what, what is bad worship. But C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity suggests this to us. In book four, he's got a chapter called Let's Pretend. And, he's, and he depicts this incredible image where he says, you know, really, when Jesus invites us to say the Lord's Prayer, he asks us to say something that isn't really real, but he asks us to pretend anyway by calling God our Father. For many of us, God isn't in that same sense of close proximity as Father as he is to Jesus himself. But Jesus instructs us to say, to call God our Father, and to put ourselves in the place of being a daughter or son of God. Lewis suggests to us that in this invitation to pretend, in this invitation to pretend, Jesus asks us to step into something that isn't really real. The quality isn't there among us in all kinds of places. And yet, when we begin to pretend, when we begin to, begin to be like little kids in the presence of God, when we pick up the toys that are around us and we pretend that we can be adults, that Jesus really comes to our side. And he begins us, he begins to turn us into the thing, the same kind of thing as he is himself. That when we begin to, to pretend and to play at worship, to play in such a way that we're seeking to delight in who God is, to recognize that He is our Lord, that life and salvation and everything comes from Him. When we begin to seek after Him with a sense and a wonder of pretend and play, that His kind of life and thought, His life becomes a part of our own. And so worship, sometimes we think we want to be excellent. We want to be intentional. We want to be dutiful. We want, to, we want all of what God has for us. C.S. Lewis would say, don't forget that we are in fact invited before the very throne room of God to delight, to glory, to play before God. Sometimes we may get it perfect. And other times we may have to say, man, we can do better next time. But we are at play seeking after Christ. And as we do that, Christ comes alongside and he walks us into his glory. 
May the Lord be good and kind to you today, and may you revel in Him. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. We want to thank the team for making this service possible, and especially Pastor Jason for his powerful message. If you know someone that might benefit from this service, we invite you to like it or share it on social media. We thank you so much for doing this. And now we invite you back next week for week two of our sermon series, Follow Me. Have a great week. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then north and south and east and west We'd hear Christ be magnified And were the whole earth echoing His eminence his name would burst from sea and sky From rivers to the mountaintops We'd hear Christ be magnified And oh, Christ be magnified Let His praise arise Christ be magnified in me and oh, Christ be magnified in the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. When every creature finds its inmost melody. Every human heart is native cry. In one rapture, hear praise. We hear Christ be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified. Rejoice, cause you're there too 
And I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true If the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just the doorway Into resurrection life And if I join you in your sufferings Then I'll join you when you rise And when you return Christ be 